Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, advice that will sharpen your focus, and expert information on real estate, finance, and market conditions. Burke Farnham, thank you so much for joining us for the Mike Litton Experience, man. I'm really, really excited to have you here. As we talked about before, everybody has a story, right? And the reason why we started this podcast is our passion is to help them tell it. And one of the things we know before we've even heard your story is your story is going to connect with somebody, right? They're going to connect with you somehow, right? They might be a financial advisor. They might be somebody who grew up like you did or grew up where you grew up, that kind of thing. So, and we know that that connection will inspire and motivate them. And so that's what we're all about. So thank you again for being here, bud. I really appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Mike. So let's start with your permission. Let's start at the very beginning. Let's start with where you were born. Well, I was born in Long Beach City. Uh, My dad was going to Long Beach State as an architect. Um, But shortly thereafter, moved to L.A. County in the uh, foothills of the San Gabriel Mountains there. So a little town called Sierra Madre. Okay. Then spent the most of my, you know, from 5 to 18 in a town right next to it called Monrovia. So okay. 10 minutes east of Pasadena. I, I always go to places. <laughs> yeah, I go to Pasadena. If people know Pasadena, then I'll say, you know, Arcadia. If they know Arcadia because of the racetrack, I'll say right. Monroe. So, right. yeah. Grew up there. Um, I don't know how deep you want me to get, but was raised by a single mother. So mm-hmm. my folks split when I was eight. Um, I have an older brother, four years apart. We are now very, very close. We're kind of our only families so my mom has passed away february of 2020 oh, and my sorry. dad's lived in san miguel de allende mexico for like 17 years so my big brother and i that's that's my family so yes my mom bless her heart raised two you know we turned out to be good men but we were probably pretty snotty back then so i remember one time she said she was going to put us up for adoption and wrote a very nasty letter and me and my brother were so sad and apologetic we had taken a ninja star he found outside of high school and sharpened the edges and threw it in the walls. I mean, talk about being little punks. We've grown up to be much better and considerate gentlemen because of her. Actually. Just for the but record. <laughs> poor mom. Yeah, poor mom. Two boys. My mother and- My mother used to say, I hope you have six just like you. <laughs> my mom always said, yeah, you know, I don't have children at this point in time. She was like, you'll understand one day. Yeah. Well, I don't blame her, you know, and she also, you'll appreciate this, was a real estate agent for 47 years. So she had to hustle, right? So I come from a long line of real estate agents and property owners, actually. My my mother, my aunt Tuki, who I'm very close with, my grandma Yaya, all real estate agents. So That's cool, buddy. That's cool. But yeah, I mean, she was hustling and raising two, two boys, so bless her heart. So yeah, and that's that's where I lived until I was 18. And then I moved to San Diego, I guess when I was 20. I went yeah. to college up in LA for a little bit, dropped out for a little bit, got my act together, came to San Diego. 
So, so you graduate in, Monro in Monrovia. He actually went to, we weren't raised religious, um, but my mom definitely believed in Catholic school mm -hmm. and Catholic schooling, private schooling. So I went to a high school called LaSalle in Pasadena. Okay. Okay. Yeah, LaSalle Lancers. Um, so I graduated from there 2001. I went to Cal Poly Pomona for about five quarters. Um, they don't do semesters, they do quarters. And then dropped out for about a year and just floated around in the ether for a little bit. I always worked in restaurants, so I was doing that. And then, yeah, got my act together, applied to USD. Mm -hmm. I've never even visited the campus. I had an ex-girlfriend who went there and we used to come and hang out in San Diego at a buddy's parents' beach house. That's all I knew of San Diego. Mm -hmm. I got accepted kind of haphazardly, if you want to talk about that. And then, you know, packed up the next day and got the hell out of town. I and stay in San Diego until I die. So that's awesome, dude. Funny how that works out. Yeah. So let's talk about Monrovia for just a second. So growing up there and Sierra Madre, right? Growing up there, what was your favorite thing about growing up there? Well, one thing I like, and probably this occurred to me more in hindsight, but even though we were lower middle class, and Monrovia is kind of aesthetically beautiful. It's in the foothills there. And now, of course, median property price is probably like up one and a half million, but pretty diverse back then. I mean, some of the people and houses and places and, you know, that I hung out in, in hindsight, like I would not have wanted my child to be hanging out there, but they were decent people. Yeah. They might have been what I would, what we would all call at the poverty level, but they fed me more than my poor mom could while she was out working showing houses, you know? So I got to learn a lot about different walks of life, the good and the bad, the essence and soul and goodness of people and the ugliness of people too. Yeah. I mean, some of these poor kids were just literally raised by wolves. Yeah. I mean, and, and generationally there's still issues there with some of the, you know, the dad was on drugs in jail. Now the son is on drugs on jail, you know. The pattern continues. But yes. So you learn a lot. And I got to kind of learn that with the dichotomy of going to the other school and not going to the local public school, but being friends with those people. And so I would say that. And then it's, you know, like I just said, it's aesthetically beautiful up there. So we got, we would go hike around those foothills in the San Gabriel mountains and, you know, Enjoy it, get into all kinds of trouble, but it was, yeah. it was a beautiful thing. Yeah. That's good for you. So who was the most, I think I know the answer to this, but who was the most influential person to you growing up? Yeah. It'd have to be mom. Yeah. My mom was funny. She, she taught us a lot and she taught us a lot about the philosophies that I adhere to today, which are the universal laws of attraction vibration like attracting like thoughts as substance thoughts as things but then towards the end of her life she didn't practice that as much as you would think for someone who instilled that into her children so my mom rest her soul was a somewhat difficult woman in her later years hmm. so we definitely had our issues for instance i'll give you a Maybe TMI, but whatever. It's a podcast. It's all right. There's no, no one's TMI gonna, here. It's just you and I, right? No one's going to hear. There's no TMI here. We have an unlimited amount of time. So we want to get. Yeah. Senior year of high school, 
I'm working basically a full-time job. I was a waiter since I was 16, worked in restaurants since I was 14, you know, played football all four years, got good grades just of my own wanton merit, was in AP classes. I mean, I didn't get arrested. I did stuff that stupid teenagers do, but I did it with good judgment and with a good heart and with kindness and I never hurt anybody. Right. And, you know, she came home one day and she found my my pot pipe. So, yeah, I smoked a little pot like a lot of teenagers do. I mean, I mean, she disowned me. She disowned me. She called the school and disowned me. We didn't speak for a year. And six months of that year was the last six months of my high school, of my senior year. I mean, we never really recovered from that. And I, yeah, we just never recovered from that, really um she was a tough lady there was other times where she didn't speak to me for a year there's times where she wouldn't speak to my big brother for a year at a time you know and it was always and her big sister and her best friend barbara you know people that i'm very close with still to this day mm -hmm. so there was a little bit of a lack of being in control as the creator that she always taught us we are mm -hmm. in this universe and so you know i miss her to death but she wasn't easy but growing up definitely to take all that back she was very influential and, and we were very very close up to a certain time sounds like she stuck to her values well mike yeah and she would always say that when we would bring up what happened for instance in my senior year but what was the value there you know a relatively good kid let's let's let me be honest with that yeah you know and not to to have any contact at all not a single word in the last six months of senior year when we're living together i mean i spent yeah. a lot of time with a girlfriend in long beach at long beach state but we were living together i mean i never did a hard drug in my life i don't count pot as a hard drug but i mean i just found out i busted my ass senior year to make cum laude, cum mm -hmm. laude. i don't know why all of a sudden grades were important to me in the last two years of high school and my very good friend Liz Plant sits down and she's like I saw your mom in the grocery store and she said you're selling cocaine I mean that could that was so I didn't have time to sell anything if I wanted to I was slanging pot pies at the local restaurant called the Monrovia and like that broke my heart I broke down in tears forbade my mom to come to the graduate I mean it was just a mess I yeah. don't think there was anything great that came out of any of that communication well, I'm not suggesting there's anything great yeah. just, she stuck to her values it, but does, it like, sounds like she stuck to her values and clung to that right good bad or indifferent yes that's right fair. and it yeah. sounds like the two of you were kind of hard-headed and there was some of this going on right i have the same exact relationship with my mother my mother and i did not get along growing up because we were the exact same person Oh God, I feel like I'm turning okay. to my mom the older I yeah. get. But and my dad, my dad used to used to, I mean, my mother, my mother and I would have these blow-ups, like just blow-ups. And my dad, bless his heart, would have to have have to get the whistle out on the referee shirt, right? And he'd come talk to me and he would say to me, What are you thinking? I have to sleep with her. Right? You mm -hmm. need to go fix this. Right. And mm -hmm. I had to go fix it. If I didn't fix it, she wouldn't have talked to me for six months. My yeah, mom's similar to yours. Yeah. 
Did you get an opportunity to go fix it? Because I didn't get, yeah. you know, I well, was I made told, the opportunity. Yeah. I made the opportunity. And yeah. it was, you know, it wasn't one of those things where she refused my approach. Like she didn't, she didn't refuse to talk to me. Right. But I had to humble myself massively in order to get to a place to where we had some sort of understanding where we had some sort of normalcy. Right. Um, I think yeah, getting the yeah. opportunity to, to speak with her. Yeah. That's a, that's a big part of it. Yeah. yeah. And it's dude, when you have two hard headed people that are exactly alike and that kind of sounds like what this is, you have those types of issues, right? Your mom probably took it to an extreme. It sounds like she was also the adult in the situation. Yeah. It was yeah. her house I was living in. I mean, yeah. Tell you what, she did me a big favor when she disowned me from the high school because man, the dean that used to ride my ass, they I got a lot of sympathy because they were like, yeah. This is this is pretty extreme. Yeah. So did all the other pseudo families that helped to raise me along the way. They were like, yes, come on into our house because we know you as the person you are. And it's, this is pretty extreme. Yeah. And they, yeah. and they get, and they I, get a feel, right. They get a feel for what you're putting up with. Yeah. Right? So the veil's been, the veil's been open. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that happened. You know, um, I'm sorry you had to deal with that. You know, you know, it was hard. I, I just think it permanently scarred me in that relationship. And now that she's gone, it's just, that's just too bad. Yeah. Yeah. We talked a lot about it. I took her to therapy a few times. I mean, I really wanted to get that communication back, but, and I, and again, this isn't, I, you know, sad mom podcast. I understand that, but, um, it's okay. It's a podcast. You know, I saw I saw the same thing, unfortunately, with her and my big brother, her and her big sister, her and her best friend. It was just sad because it wasn't exactly. There was a moment almost where it seemed like she, she changed. Yeah. I swear. And it just made me sad, really, for her and for us and for her and my brother, for the three of us. But. It happened. The love was there. She laid a good foundation. She raised us. Mm -hmm. I do miss her dearly. So, Imagine. you know, it wasn't all for nothing. It was, it is what it was supposed to be, I assume. And she laid a good foundation. And even if she didn't maybe practice the philosophy she instilled in me, it was that philosophy and that mindset that and maybe we'll talk about it, but all the trauma I've been through has saved my life and allowed yeah. me to create and be the creator of my own life, which is yeah, toughened you up. Toughened me up. Yeah. yeah. It was hard, right? But it toughened you up. Okay. So you graduate. So you graduate. Did you say cum laude? Not like the top person, whatever is it? Is it cum, summa cum laude? I no, wasn't no, like, right. I, didn't give, I didn't give the speech. At so you weren't the valedictorian. Program. Okay. That's right. And no, that's they, wouldn't, they wouldn't let me do that. No, that's my. I was very right? proud of that. Yeah, I got to wear the rope. I was very proud of it. You know, that's there wasn't anybody. Well, there wasn't anyone making me. Yeah, making me do my homework and stuff at that point in time. So yeah. it was kind of, you know, my first year of the high school, I really didn't care about grades, but the something, something just hit me in the second two years where I just busted my ass to get straight A's if I could. Yeah, AP classes and. I think I just liked learning at that point in time. Something switched where I just was like, you know what? This is actually enjoyable. That's Nerd. cool. Man. Yeah. That's cool. So you graduate Monrovia. 
I'm going to hit do not disturb because a lot of people are ringing my bell. Okay, so you hit, so you graduate Monrovia, you go to school where? I went to Cal Poly Pomona for That's right. five quarters. Five yeah. quarters, right? As a, as a chemistry major, I kind of fell in love with the hard sciences uh, towards the end of high school, physics, bio, chemistry. So I trained, you know, when I started at Cal Poly, I went in as a chemistry major. Gotcha. What made you so talk? fast forward? You know what? I think being on my own for one thing, you know, I moved out the a week after high school. Yeah. So I was very busy. I had to work a lot to support myself. But the one thing that made me mad, and as a young punk kid or whatever, but <laughs> and it still kind of makes me mad, but colleges are business. Mm-hmm. But they are the worst at their freaking customer service because mm-hmm. they know you're so you would go. I mean, they would have parking at, on campus for let's just use any numbers. I don't know, 20,000 people, but there was 50,000 people there at a time. Right. You know, I was just a young, dumb kid. I didn't. So I would be late. I would park. I'd get a ticket. I'd get my car towed. I get what really set it off was I went to the counselor to figure out next quarter's classes to take to stay on this chemistry path mm-hmm. and like a woman like literally shut her door in my face and i just felt i just i just walked off that day and never came back yeah. it was too hard i'm like look i want a college education but this is hard and i just think yeah Probably sounds like I'm a total softy, but no, not at all. I was trying my freaking hardest and working like seven days a week in the yeah. restaurant, these eight hour shifts to get, I just was, I said, forget it. Yeah. And by the way, the 50,000 students to the 20,000 parking spots, you're being generous. Let's be honest. Dude, okay. I just, and in Southern I, California, you know how expensive real estate is, right? They got to park them somewhere, right? And I mean, there are colleges all over Southern California, actually all over California, period, that are still trying to catch up to their to their issues, right? And a lot of them have to do with parking. A lot of them have to do with real estate. A lot of them have to do with the fact that they got started in the middle of Pomona and the rest of Pomona grew up around them, Absolutely. And, right? And the, the, the cost of that real estate has gone up dramatically. So has the cost of construction, the whole thing, right? So it's, I'm not making excuses for them. It's just... No. It, it is. I mean, that's literally what people are dealing with. No, you're not wrong. It's just there's not a lot of businesses that know you're beholden to them so much that they will really forego what I would call customer service. Yeah, and there's no excuse. It's not a, it's not a free education. I mean, that's you know, that's no. just, that's just uncalled for. So yeah. you so you leave Cal State Cal State Pomona, you take a, a year off, right? You apply to USD, which you said was a story. So we need to hear the story about how haphazardly you got into USD. We got to hear that deal. That that did change my life and get me down. It got me out of a, I won't get into details, but a bad living situation in Monrovia. You can get into details. uh, No, I'll leave that one for next podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The thing at at USD, so this very beautiful private college down here. Mm -hmm. I, I, as good as my last two years of my grades were, et cetera, I was not caliber to get exception in that school. However, the year that I got accepted was the first year they opened this $60 million, which then sounded like a lot of money, but this was back in 2002 or something. Right. Anyways, they just opened the $60 million science and technology building. 
And so they were trying to fill, fill it, yeah. with science right? majors. And here is this guy coming in as a chemistry major, thinking I'm going to be a chemist for the rest of my life. By yeah. the way, no, thank you. No way. Um, and that's how I got accepted. Or else yeah. I don't think that would have ever. And that brought me to San Diego where, you know, I've been able to build this beautiful life and make commerce. And even though it's now officially the most expensive county in the country it's yeah. it's art i mean this is my home i've been here now longer i'm almost 41 than i was in la mm -hmm. so san diego is my home and i love it dearly it's meant a lot to me and i will stay here until they kick me out or i die there you so, go that's yeah. awesome buddy yeah. so you so you go to school at usd what do you study i studied chemistry for like the first two years okay chemistry man that Here's the thing about chemistry. I was not smart enough to be a chemist. So, <laughs> I mean, I was on that campus like 16 hours a day. I could barely hold a job down here. And I was failing for the first time in my life. Yeah. I was getting tutored in calculus and failing. I needed to get to three calculuses. I mean, it was usually if I busted my ass at something, I would do okay. And especially with school, if I had to study a little extra, fine, but I could usually get any material get passing grades yep. when i got in those higher up chemistry classes i was getting smoked i mean yep. they would give me i would study too it's not like i didn't put the i would sit there they'd give me this test and i would just look at everyone else and everyone else is writing those and i would turn in like a blank test i mean that has never happened to me that's fine that's the universe saying this isn't right for you right so actually i went to the head of the chemistry department and i said look i am miserable i can barely work i can't pass calculus one or any calculus three mm -hmm. what do i do and she said, well, what do you want to be? And at the time, I said, well, I think I want to be a forensic scientist, work for the FBI, something like that. She was like, oh, you actually don't need a physical science major for that. We just had a girl last year, same situation, same shoes, and she switched to psychology. And I thought, well, dang, I know there's cute girls in psychology classes. You know, there's not a ton in my chemistry classes, and I do love people, and I love emotions and behaviors okay let me try that so i switched to psychology mm -hmm. and in my upper division classes for psychology i took some biopsychology classes and i fell in love with the chemistry of the brain and neurobiology there was a professor there veronica galvan that i became very close with and i did a lot of side research with mm -hmm. And her husband, Pete Vanderklish, bless his heart, he was the man, he still is, worked in the neurobiology department at Scripps Research. So the largest, you know, academia research facility in the country here, yeah. right up the street in San Diego. Yeah. As part of one of our side research projects, I met him one day. So Veronica took us to Pete's lab. And I don't know, he saw something in me and mentioned it to her. And so... After I graduated from USD, I went and worked in the neurobiology department under Pete. And that started a, over a decade-long stint in the research world here mm -hmm. in San Diego. Yeah. However, about two years into doing the research, you know, I realized this is probably, I really like it. It's interesting work. Talk about getting to see the the power of the universe or god or life whatever you want to call it but man you start 
growing neurons in a petri dish and looking them under a beautiful microscopy microscope use that i mean that is the wonder of the world right yeah. but try that driving force of life but i knew i didn't want to do it forever it just wasn't a passion so at the point in time i'll tell this story because it's kind of funny because it's how it ended up getting me to where i'm do now as a financial advisor, which might sound nerdy, but I will do for the rest of my life. It's such a calling. So I had a lot of nurses in my life at that time. And they said, you know what? You're a nurturer. You care for people. You've got the analytical scientific side. Like have you thought about being a nurse? And so I started looking into it and decided I wanted to be a nurse practitioner. Okay. So I went back to school, paid more student loans, got prerequisites done, started doing volunteer. I wanted to, you know, at this point in time, I was with my partner, Emily. She was, she had her business here in San Diego. So I wanted to go to USD's accelerated master's in nursing program. I'm alumni. I'm working with USD faculty members, you know, volunteering in their urgent care center. One of the things that I did for my resume was I started volunteering Friday night, eight to midnight up at Scripps Memorial. So right up the street here in San Diego. Yeah. The other, there was two volunteers per shift. The other volunteer was a really sweet guy, kind of shy, kind of nerdy, a little bit older than me. And he said, man, you know, I really recently have gotten into the stock market and this philosophy. And I read this book written by a guy named William O'Neill. So mm -hmm. William O'Neill was one of our generation's best growth traders. And in the 60s, he developed a philosophy called CAN-SLIM. Mm -hmm. It's an acronym. CAN-SLIM stands for different things. Call me on the side if you want to know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he started Investor's Business Daily, which was a daily periodical, just like the Wall Street Journal. Mm -hmm. So I got that book. I tell you what, I got that book. I read it, I studied it, I memorized it. I still follow that philosophy to this day, but whatever it was, 17 years ago, that got me into the stock market. In the meantime, I started teaching my very, very good buddies, my brothers, the philosophy about the stock market, got them into trading. I mean, one of them, what was it, four years ago, used his trading account to buy his first house, which he's cool. since sold and bought another one. Okay. So let me, and then I'll talk, let me go back. Okay. So I applied to USD to their accelerated master's program. Mm -hmm. I think I put my Cal Poly GPS as like a 3.8 and it was actually a 3.7. I don't know. They kicked me out. They didn't, they didn't consider my application. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm like an honest, trustful person, almost to a T. I tell a lie. I turn bright red. I mean, I'm bright red at it. Yeah, I lying, it doesn't, I can't keep track of lies. Right. I was so heartbroken. The the faculty members I was working with cried, not an exaggeration, literally cried when I told them because they knew what it meant to me. They knew my Pete, who wasn't even involved in this world. I was going to leave Pete to become a nurse. Pete was who right. I was working for. And right. he called the lady and said, you've got this guy so confused. I think, and again, the universe thank you for doing that. that. That wouldn't have been a calling for me. I think the way insurances work and I, you know, nurses are all about patient care and now you just the churn and burn. It's turn over the beds, pill seekers treating you like a waiter. I mean, it would have been bad. Yeah. Um, a little bit of real class, was, your values. 
Yeah, it was very devastating. I think that at that point in time, now we have a huge shortage of nurses. If there's any people listening right now that please go be a nurse, come into this world. We need more. We've got a huge shortage. At then it back then it wasn't the case. Right. And so I think they were so saturated. This is what a faculty member told me that anything they could use, whether you're alumni who didn't matter to get you crossed off the application list, they used that. At least that's what I'm assuming. And that's kind of what I was told. But the beautiful thing is, so fast forward a little bit, I'm pretty devastated. I stick in research because it's what I know. I don't know what else I want to do. I'm now working at a biotech company that was born out of the neurobiology department at Scripps. Mm -hmm. So all of these people that I've become very close with have started a biotech company with a big GE grant. And actually, these guys are the first people that pioneered mRNA. Okay. The therapies that just made the COVID yeah, vaccine. Exactly. They were yeah. basically my, you know, Vince Morrow, look him up, one of the pioneers. That all came from a guy named Gerald Edelman, who ran our lab before he passed away, won the Nobel Peace Prize in for chemistry back in the 70s, antibody work, all that. Anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm working for this biotech company and it goes under oh. a slow, slow death. I mean, it took months for this thing to die. And I saw people and a lot of their livelihoods attached to this get crushed. Oh. That was it. I had I was done with scientific research. It already wasn't a passion. This was an awful experience. So here I am now trying to figure out what the hell do I do? I'm thinking about medical device sales and pharmaceutical sales. You know, none of that appealed to me. And bless their hearts, but doctors and scientists, a lot of ego there, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of great ones too, but there's a lot of ego. It's a lot of, you know, an intellectual peeing contest between everyone's got to be the smart, you know, that's not for me. I'm, I can be humble and tell you, I'm not the smartest at a lot of things. Yeah. So I'm now working for one of my best buddies, construction companies up in LA under the table. I've got all this college education, all this. And actually, it was fun. I learned a lot. It was great. Don't get me wrong. But if, come on. I mean, I'm 34, five years old at that time. I'm working construction on the table, still lost, still not knowing what I wanted to do. Cooper was his name, Brian Cooper. We're on the job site one day, and he gets a call from his then financial advisor. He hangs up and he looks at me. He's like, You ever thought about doing? financial advising you're always and for years now i've been talking to us about the stock market seems mm -hmm. like you like the next day mike i started the path to this career which i will do until they tell me i can't anymore yeah i mean talk about finding your calling after 10 years of being very very lost yeah. more than 10 years i mean you think you want to be a chemistry major and then you go to psychology to do forensics you, then you end up going to a neurobiology department i mean there was a lot of zigging and zagging but isn't the universe beautiful Without switching to psychology, wouldn't have met Veronica. Without Veronica, wouldn't have met Pete. Without research, wouldn't have even thought about going into nursing. Without that, I wouldn't have met Andrew, the other volunteer at the freaking emergency room mm -hmm. up at Scripps Memorial. Would never have gotten this book, this philosophy about the stock market. I mean, holy moly. Pretty crazy, huh? It's hard to see the forest through the trees, but geez, in hindsight, it's a beautiful, crazy thing in the universe. You know, 
be kind, be a good person, do right, and hopefully the universe takes care of you. Yeah. So that's what happens. That's my long-winded story. That's what happens. And, we had a and you know, this came, this came from what I can tell, this came from you adding value and coming from a place of contribution with your friends. Right? And that's when Cooper turns to you and goes, hey, you're always talking about the stock market. You're always talking about, why don't you go into financial advising? And all of a sudden it's like, now the light goes on, right? Right. And, right? and here you are working. I mean, you have a degree from USD. You have all this background in research, all this background in biotech, all this stuff. And you're working for a buddy's construction company under the table. Away right? from Emily, which maybe yeah. we'll talk. And you're like Emily. 35 years old going, what? What right? the hell And I then Cooper doing? turns to you and bam, lightning, right? Lightning strikes. So where did you go to work? New York Life. Okay. Why yeah. New York Life? For a lot of reasons. God, I should back up and tell the other story, but I don't want to talk bad. I actually got lined up with Cooper's financial advisor to go work for the company that I will not name. Okay. And I started down that path. So it's like he got me licensed in life, health, and, and different insurances. Did that. That was step one. Then then you move on to get your six and 63. Then you move on, get your 65 and seven. Mm -hmm. Very excited. I'm doing this. This is a new path for me. I go to an orientation at this company's office in Los Angeles. It was the most disheartening thing ever. I mean, I don't want to get into details and talk bad, but I'll just say I got back to Cooper's house. I called Emily. Emily was my partner. She's since passed away, but um, I was with her for 12 years. She was my, still is my other half of my light and soul. I called Emily and I said, I think I've made a terrible, terrible mistake mm -hmm. <laughs> about this industry. In the meantime, Emily, who was self-employed down here in San Diego, Worked with a girl named Kimmy. Kimmy's brother worked for New York Life. I'd never even heard of New York Life. Mm -hmm. He comes over to our house to help Emily with her health insurance. And we start talking. That's cool. And he says, would you like me to set up a meeting with the managing partner of the San Diego office? And I was smart enough to be dumb to just know I'm not going to say no to anything. Right. I don't think I'm going to stay in this industry. But I, I came up and in one week I had three meetings with our managing partner, Tony Montalvo, and said yes, and it was the best decision I've ever made. That's cool. Are you with them still today? I am. So I hang, I have a lot of different clients. What's up? Has it been six years? It's a little over six years now. Yeah. yeah. So I have a lot of different licenses, and this is why I chose this found this this firm and this institution. So I have licenses for life, health, disability, insurance, annuities. I hang with New York Life. Mm-hmm. I have my series 63, 6, 65, and 7 that I hang with Nightlife Securities and then our advisory firm, Eagle Strategies. Okay. This company is one of the largest financial institutions in the world. We're yeah. just privately owned. We are not publicly traded, which I love. So we are owned by our clients for a lot of different products. Mm -hmm. They have been around for 180-something years. They've got more money in their surplus than the FDIC has baking up, backing up our public bank money. They've got, you don't usually see institutions this large and this rich be this kind and this decent. Yeah. 
And trust me, I've delivered my first death benefit was to myself when I lost Emily. Oh, you don't want a company. Anyways, the point of going to this company was that I could do everything for a household. Gotcha. And I don't think anyone's going to treat a household better than this company or myself. Gotcha. Probably because of my background and where I came from. I'm not a salesman. I've never sold anything in my life. I love this industry because of two things. The client family that I've built, mm-hmm. which saved my life. When I lost Emily and then my mom two months later, I went through some hard. These people saved. The people and the family that I built through this industry and this firm have saved my life. And I can't remember what else I was going to say, but, oh, that's right. I like the client family, mm-hmm. but then I like to educate people. And you and I talked about this prior to the podcast starting. Mm-hmm. The extreme lack of education when it comes to financial wealth in this country by design, the debt matrix, it's built in slavery for the masses, the way credit cards work, the way banking works, the way the feds borrow from the feds to lend to the bank. There's such a lack of education, it makes me upset. So I'm very, very education forward with my clients. They see that, they know they can trust me. And, and I'm very proud to say that I'm only referral based. Yeah. My client family only grows from my client family. And I have like the most amazing people inside of that client family. So yeah. And you've earned it, dude. I mean, I, I know from our conversation before the podcast started how passionate you are. And just for the record, we're writing a book starting January of 2024 on homeownership and you've graciously agreed to be interviewed for that book. And so we're super, we're super excited to have you. We're super excited to sit down with you and go over all that. Um, And you're right. You know, there's a, there's a real lack of education. So I have a question for you and I don't want to upset you, but I, but I do have a question that you're probably going to be a little uncomfortable with. When you went to Los Angeles to that orientation, what was it that made you repel from there? What was it that happened that, I mean, don't, we're not going to talk about the name of the company or any of that kind of thing. No, that's okay. You think about a financial institution or a company that manages a lot of assets. Mm -hmm. You do want a certain amount of, I mean, you, you, this office, there was holes in the wall, stains on the floor. People oh. were, didn't even have a desk, but the number one lead guy, head guy in Los Angeles gives his spiel and literally says to us, and here I am, I'm, and this might sound snotty, I'm 35, I'm booted and suited, I'm looking good. I'm, and there's like, everyone else in that room is like 18, wearing their first collared shirt. They probably got it like Marshall's. That sounds snotty. I get it. But you have to understand, we manage a lot of money. There should be a certain, all that was fine. Maybe not the office building, but the young kids, that's all great. I'm sure it's not like an a-hole, but I'm not trying to be. It's just, you're, you know, you're all excited. You've, I was already licensed. I had put a lot of work into this. Yeah. Paid. I paid. Work, to be money. Able... Yeah. The whole thing. Right. Time. Again, yeah. I'm away from Emily. I'm up in LA. Yeah. After the guy gives his spiel, he says, don't go home and tell your friends and family what we talked about because they're going to tell you it's a pyramid scheme. Oh, I mean, holy shit. Sorry, assistant yeah. bleeped that. <laughs> That's when I drove back to Cooper's house where I was staying when I was in LA. I called Emily and said, I think, and I was heartbroken. First, the yeah. nursing, now I think heartbroken. 
Well, you had your hopes up, right? And then you go there and it's this huge disappointment. But the good thing is, it once again in your life showed you what you didn't want. 100%. Right? right. And yes. so all of a sudden, all of a sudden it now, because of your values and because of the way you were raised, right? You are flying in the face of all the values that you were raised with. And you're looking at it going, no, no, absolutely not. Right. Because yeah. money for the sake of money is how the financial services industry and banking and all the stuff we've talked about. That's how we got to where we are. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And that's why we're doing what we're doing. Part of this podcast yeah. is educating people. Right. Yeah. And that's what this is about. And I know you're all about that. Right. So that's why. And I sort of, just so you know, I sort of had an inkling from what you said your experience was like. I sort of had an inkling as to what it was like. And I know exactly who the company is. They remain nameless. Okay. Yeah. But uh -huh. they're all about money for sake of money and they're churning and burning. That's all they're doing. You can't even like get what you described the medical industry as being. And by the way, just so you know, I just recently had a conversation for over an hour with a chief of staff of one of the largest hospitals in California. In fact, one of the largest hospitals in the nation. And he was telling me about how healthcare is dropping in terms of quality. Oh, man. And a great deal of it, he told me, was because of nursing, because of the lack of nursing that's out there. So I have a lot of nurses as clients. I have such a soft spot for them, obviously. Absolutely. Talk about Emily's mom. Yeah, yeah she was here visiting. I'm still, you know, Emily passed away four years ago. She's still like a mom. I mean, we're still very, very close. She's been an ER nurse for 40 years. Yeah. I'm sorry yes. about Emily, by the way. Uh, thank you. Yeah, that was a hard one. Uh, and we can talk about it if you want. I mean, it's up to you. But, um. Sometimes it helps people if you talk about it, but it's up to you. I'll talk about it. I mean, maybe it will. It's, yeah. But I'll, I was going to say just Em's mom, the story she has now and the stuff she has to go. I mean, just think about a hospital. Now they have to get certain quality scores from mm -hmm. the patients to mm -hmm. get certain funding or a, the max level of insurance payments. And all of this is might be regional specific. I don't know, but these people are there just most of them are just seeking drugs, mm -hmm. calling her the B word, spitting in her face. I mean, but she's gotta they gotta maintain those uh satisfaction scores. Mm -hmm. Talk about the burnout these poor people are going through. Yeah. And you don't get to nursing. I mean, you get into nursing because you are a nurturer and you care. And you want to help patients. And when yeah. they're telling you to turn people over, get the beds turning and burning, I mean. Right. Faster, 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 yeah. It's a mess. And of course, this could be a whole other podcast, but privatized insurance, privatized healthcare for the masses, get out of here. What scumbag decided that was okay? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I, liberal, conservative, whatever, you don't want to spend money on it, wait till your mom's dying in a hospice bed and it costs $650 a day. Mm -hmm. Tell me if you want some freaking socialist global health care. I mean, it's just quality of life. You want the quality of life for the masses? Should we be educated on avoiding credit card debt and finances? I mean, this is America. Finances equal health, safety, security. Mm -hmm. And the lack of that opposite 
equates to the lack of that mental yeah. stress, physical stress, stress for your kids. I mean, the you're good news wrong, is man. you're not yeah, wrong. The good is with a little bit of education, be it a rigged system or not, you can figure out how to live a kind, happy, healthy, you know, you just stick to your little universe or large universe, whatever you want to say, kind of realize it's a education lacked rigged system and then figure out how to maneuver in it, you know, yeah. in a decent way through and, and with kindness, you know, but yeah. I got a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. If you That's can tell. okay, man. That's okay. You've yeah. earned it. You've so, earned it. So yeah. do you want to talk about Emily for a minute? You know, if we're talking about my life, it's impossible to talk about it without talking about her. Yeah. Um, Sounds like it. I'll just go to the beginning. Um, let's see. I don't even know what year it was. I'm, I'm 41 in a month. I met her when I was 20. She was 18 at a restaurant I worked at during college, my first six or seven years in research. I still had to work always in a restaurant to make money mm -hmm. right down the street from where, where, where my office is here. So there was a little restaurant. Mike, I swear to God, I walked out one day and she was interviewing with one of the managers at a booth. Mm -hmm. I can still tell you what she was wearing. I mean, this must have been... Which was 16 years ago, I guess. Mm -hmm. I mean, I talk about love at first sight. I don't want to be banal or trite, but it was at least lust at first sight. I mean, damn, she was beautiful. Mm -hmm. She had this energy. She got hired. P.S. At that point in time in her life, worst employee ever. She was so <laughs> damn cute. It didn't matter. But God, when she's the worst employee, she got hired as a delivery driver. <laughs> but... I just knew I had to get it. I had to have her. She was so beautiful inside now. And then you find out she's got good taste in music, is articulate, reads. I mean, holy sh smokes. Right. Took me two years, by the way. I mean, she didn't even know who I was for two years. And I I told her, I'm like, I'm going to, oh, you're going to be mine one day. And she was like, who are you? I was like, yeah. I'm, I'm Burke. She was like, oh, shoot. Yeah. Bye -bye. Anyway, like, like I said to Molly the other day, I mean, I grew on her like a fungus and, you know, I got it. And yeah, loving my life. Together 12 years. An absolutely gorgeous girl, but also on the inside. Yeah. I think so. She grew up in a little alfalfa farming town called Fallon, Nevada. Mm -hmm. Any burning man people out there? I'm not. Oh, I know exactly where Fallon is. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So she grew up playing with like dirt and scorpions. I mean, if she had grown up in Orange County, she probably would have, I always said, you don't even know how beautiful you are. And I'm so thankful that that's the case because she, she was a genuine, decent person. She had no pettiness. She was a good girlfriend. I mean, girlfriend to me, a girlfriend to her actual girlfriends. Mm -hmm. There wasn't any cattiness or pettiness or passive aggressiveness. She just, she was funny as hell. Mm -hmm. I mean, this absolutely gorgeous woman was the biggest goofball ever mm -hmm. so yeah 12 years i mean that's just 12 years of inside jokes a lot of laugh wiggle worming on the couch she would wiggle worm and wrestle with i mean she was just she was tiny just the cutest mm -hmm. um when she was 20 so we had just kind of started dating she got just adult onset epilepsy and we don't know why but man mike she would have these freaking 
vicious. They used to be called grand mal. Now they call them clonic tonic, but she would have these awful freaking seizures. And a lot of people with epilepsy, they have something called an aura. So they can feel whether it's clonotonic, whether it's passing seizure, but they can feel it coming, meaning they can pull over, they can lay down, they can cushion. Emily was there and then she was having a massive seizure. And I probably saw her have 40 of these things. I mean, I literally died a little bit inside every time I saw her in that condition. And of course... When she came out of it, she felt very sick. It took a good amount of time to what I would call reboot. Mm-hmm. So I've been with her for years and years and years. It took her so one time. It took her two hours to remember who I was. Mm. We were about to drive to dinner. She had a big one in the passenger seat of the car. When she came to, I think she thought she had been abducted. I had to. I was chasing her around the car, being like, "Emily, it's me, it's me." And she was looking at me like mm, two hours. Usually, it took maybe twenty minutes, but they were terrifying. I won't get into it too much. The like back to the medical. I mean, talk about being let down. I mean, right before she passed, we were working with the neurologist and trying to get in and being pushed aside. I mean, the the last neurologist appointment, because there was three neurologists, mm-hmm. he was so dismissive. I said, something's gonna happen to this amazing woman, and I'm gonna come back here and burn this place down. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Something did, and I didn't. I mean, she died the day before she was supposed to meet with the most important neurologist, the sleep neurologist, to give her the proper medication. I mean, I would call and beg and plead to get in early. And they were like, no, you got to wait four weeks. We can't see anybody. I'm like, anyways. Um, no excuse for that stuff. It's just a mess. They made, they're doing what they know how to do mm-hmm. in the capacity and the parameters of how they have to do it. That this is the doctors. They can't see us as people anymore. Mm -hmm. They don't have the time or the funding or the the insurance code to put down actual person. Fiance looks like he's terrified that Mm -hmm. she's. That's not a. There's no insurance code for that. They can't get billed for that, right? We went up at the same time. Emily was having this big seizure cluster. So this is about October of 2019. My mom is going through the last rounds of her chemo. And so I'm up in LA a lot because she's super sick, lives by herself, my mother. She never remarried or anything. So one weekend I had to go back up to LA. Last minute, she mom went to the emergency room. It wasn't planned. And Emily actually was able work-wise to come with me. We're driving home from LA. It's Sunday night. And she's like, holy, mm-hmm. you know, sorry, Burke. I didn't realize quite how intense this is mm-hmm. what can i do and i said emily you are the other half of my freaking soul all i need you to do is take care of yourself and be there for me mm-hmm. the next morning monday we wake up i get ready for the office i'm actually having a meeting with our good friends jamie and jason em and my good friends they're still very good friends good clients and Emma's like, you know what? I didn't sleep very well. I don't feel very good. That was kind of a trigger for a seizure, not sleeping well. I, I'm going to see if I can clear the first half of my day. So she called her assistant, cleared the first half. I call her from the office. She answers. She says, good news. I got the whole day cleared. I said, okay, baby, you just stay in bed. I don't want her walking around and stuff. Because again, she didn't have any aura. Like when they, she could be at the refrigerator drinking a glass of water and one of these seizures would have been dangerous, right? 
Um, okay, I'll stay in bed. Probably said I love you 15 times. I'll see you soon. I'm going to come home right after Jamie and Jason. Love you, love you, love you. Bye, bye, bye. I get out of that meeting and she's not answering her phone. Mm. And I just, my heart, I just know something's not right. I literally, Mario Andretti, race home. Long story short, she decided to take a bath by herself. That was her place of comfort. She shouldn't have done it alone. We had knew that. And she had a seizure and drowned in the bathtub. And a little bathtub took the absolute like soul and light of my life. And yeah, talk about a lot of light. This is, was a woman who touched a lot of people's lives through her business. Probably had 300 clients that were family. Amazing mom, dad, stepdad who helped raise her, bro baby brother, two nephews that are like my nephew. I mean, Ooh. talk about the wake and the consequences of, and I know that Emily just, she knew she shouldn't have taken a bath by herself, but she probably felt so awful. She just wanted some comfort. That was her happy place. There is some solace knowing that she probably sat in a hot bath, went, this feels freaking good. And then, and then transitioned. Yeah. It didn't feel a seizure coming on. There wasn't pain in the moment of that seizure. She was shut down. Yeah. So I imagine her last thought was probably like, damn, this bath feels good. Mm -hmm. And then transitioned. But, um, shit. Yeah. We're coming up on the four year. I hate the word anniversary for someone's yeah. past, but whatever. Anniversary. Well, four year yeah. mark. Yeah. 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 Nothing's really been the same since you, you know, you find out how tough you are. That's for sure. She used to say, What would you do if something happened to me? And I'd be like, I will crumble and freaking turn to dust without you. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, but you don't have that option. Yeah. That's. You don't have that option. Luckily, I've got amazing, amazing, amazing people in my life and a high volume of them. Like we're very blessed. We've got I've got groups of brothers from grade school, high school. I've got new groups of people from San Diego that are like brothers to me. I was the best man in my buddy's wedding mm -hmm. on Saturday. This is someone I met at a networking group here in San Diego a few years ago. I mean, I've been blessed to have a lot of love and a lot of i was just writing in my daily gratitude journal nerd i'm just very blessed to have such support and love and man going through that saved my life i mean two weeks later my mom went on hospice and deteriorated in a hospice bed for six weeks and passed mm. so emily december 16th 2019 my mom february 25th of 2020 and then covid hit what a month later right I mean, good lord it was a, yeah so i'm not trying to make this a sad podcast i cannot oh. talk about my life without emily i wouldn't be or my mom i mean yeah talk about shaping me i mean but emily you would have loved her that's all i could ever say a lot of people in my life knew her and loved her i mean a lot of my best friends were like big brothers to her mm -hmm. sister i mean she was that lovable but it's hard when you get to meet a lot of new people and you're like, shoot, you would have loved Emily mm. and vice versa, you know? Yeah. So anyways, I'm sorry. Bud. Yeah. Life is crazy, man.
But I guarantee you, you telling this story is going to help people. I guarantee it. I'll tell you what, if you get feedback, will you let me know? Because that Absolutely. would right, that would make me happy. Or if there's any Absolutely. people suffering from epilepsy or whatever, if they need anything, or if you're a partner of somebody suffering from epilepsy. I mean, I became an expert on this stuff after 12 years. Yeah. I mean, good Lord, we actually donated her brain, which is so sad to think about. Not sad, but like... Never mind. But we donated a brain to the Epilepsy Foundation, and they did find some interesting stuff. Maybe that one day could could help. That'd be yeah. so cool. She would have loved that. Emily yeah. was such a freaking giver. I mean, yeah. That's awesome, buddy. That's awesome. Well, thank you for telling your story. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we wrap up? I don't think so. I hate to end on such a sad note. But... No, buddy, listen. No, I mean, it, it's a sad thing that happened, but your recovery from it is a victory. Okay. And the fact that you're telling her story and you're telling your mom's story and you're relating to people, like you're, you're, you're being really vulnerable right now, that's a big deal. And that's not a negative. Okay. That's not a negative. And I guarantee you right now, people are listening to you and you're helping them. I promise you. And any feedback we get, we'll be happy to forward to you. And like I said, I'm looking forward to meeting you and getting together and interviewing you for the book. Um, and I cannot, absolutely cannot thank you enough for being here and doing this. You have an amazing story, bud, and you're a walking inspiration. You really are. And I'm super proud of you. Well, that means, <laughs> that means more to me than y'all probably ever know, man. Well, so thank, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate I really... you on the Mike Lydon experience, buddy. My pleasure, man. Thanks so much. Take care. Have, have an amazing right. day today. You too. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton Experience. If you did, do us a favor. Smash that subscribe button. Tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program. And wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calvinlee.com slash Rio 760.